G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story We do ministry in the far east of Russia, and so I got up and I talked about our life with Sarah, and it was interpreted in Russian. And when I'd finished, I had all these beautiful Russian ladies just run at me into my arms and hug me, and they were weeping and crying. And because of Sarah, it showed them that we might look on the outside as if we've got it all together, but really we are as human as they are, and we also have troubles and problems in our lives. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have the conclusion of our three-part conversation with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch. As we heard previously, Lawrence and Louise were led by God to do ministry work among Jewish people. Also, we heard how their daughter Sarah was born with severe brain damage and how this has had an enormous impact on their lives. Today, Lawrence and Louise will share how God has used Sarah's life in unexpected and remarkable ways. Once again, they're chatting with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. When Sarah was one, I went to a birthday party and I remember this birthday party, I didn't really want to be there because all the other babies who had turned one were starting to walk and starting mm. you know, to move around, yet Sarah just lay there. And I was so sad and I just wanted to run away and hide. And I didn't know somebody was watching me. So I only heard about it a year later when I had held a birthday party for, for my son, Asher, and a lot of the mums who were at that birthday party I'd been to a year ago, I invited them as well. And a lady walked in with a baby in her arms and she gave me a gift. And she says, I really want to give you this gift for Sarah. And I said, why? And she said, I have something really important to tell you. I saw you a year ago at that birthday party we were mm-hmm. at. And she said the baby in her womb was diagnosed with a severe brain abnormality. And that was a Saturday. On the Monday, she had booked to go to have an abortion. And she said, you know, when I saw you with your little girl, I thought to myself, if that woman can do it, so can I. Wow. So she canceled her abortion. Wow. The most beautiful part of the story is that the baby she was holding in her arms was completely normal, completely healthy baby. Mm. He, he had no brain abnormality. So she had a misdiagnosis, yet she didn't abort because she saw Sarah. Mm. And I just knew right at that moment when she told me that story that the Lord had given us Sarah for, for far greater plans and purposes than we could ever have imagined. And um, Sarah had saved this child's life. Mm. And that was amazing and incredible. You know, when Sarah was two years old, she was very, very sick again. Um, for 10 days, she was in hospital. She had so many seizures that the nurses didn't even want to walk into her ward to, to care for her. And again, the doctors told us, they said, oh, sorry, she will die. So four times in those 10 days, we held Sarah in our arms and actually said goodbye to her. Hmm. We had to release her to the Lord because she was having so many seizures. And to see her suffer like that was so painful. And I remember the doctors coming back to me again saying to Lawrence and I, take her home. There's nothing more we can do. Let her die at home. Mm. So we took her home. And 
I just remember crying on the bathroom floor, sobbing, sobbing to God. I said to the Lord, Lord, you said that you would never tempt us beyond what we can bear. Mm-hmm. This is what your word says. Mm-hmm. But I feel holding Sarah in my arms and saying goodbye to her and giving her to you and then you're not taking her is more than I can bear because I don't understand. Why are you allowing this? And Sarah just started picking up. Every day she started getting better and better and even started nursing again. And it was really a miracle that this child had such a desire and a will to live. Um, You know, someone said to me once, don't worry about the severity of her brain damage. Just minister to her spirit because Mm -hmm. she's a whole human being created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And that's who she is. We can tell you story after story about Sarah's life. You know, she's actually 28 years old today. Wow. She has, she is living against all odds. She has no hypothalamus, which controls your body temperature. So we have to be constantly caring for her and watching her temperature in case it drops, because mm-hmm. if it drops too low, then her body can shut down and she can go into a coma. We are, um, Sarah lives at home with us. We um, are still waking up at night. We're still changing like nappies as Mm. you do with babies. Mm. We feed her orally um, with smooth and pureed foods. She has a a peg in her tummy to help her um, get fluids. She has seizures. She's on seizure medication and she's in a wheelchair. And yes, it is difficult. But what God has done in each one of our lives, like we have now four children. Mm. We have my oldest son, Asher, who was two when Sarah was born. Mm. Today he's a human rights lawyer and he's so oh, passionate wow. about helping the marginalized and the underprivileged and you know the refugees. Mm-hmm. And his passion comes out of Sarah's disability. He often says, Mom, it's because of Sarah mm. and because of what he saw in the slums in South Africa that has made him so passionate and you know, being the person that he, he is today. And my all my children have become so compassionate, and I have a son Jesse who's twenty three now, and a beautiful daughter Leora who is our baby. She's twenty years old, living in Israel. Um, each one of them have got their own stories about mm-hmm. how Sarah has shaped them, but not only them, many many like Darren said of our carers who come in to help us. In fact, we couldn't do without our carers. Yes, yeah, Sarah really them. has shaped the way that we do ministry. Mm. And um, she has really helped us to understand a lot more about how God works through trials and tribulations and suffering in our lives. And he uses that to mold us. And that certainly has helped us in ministering to a very broken people, Mm. Jewish people who have been through a lot of suffering and a lot of painful experiences, not only individually but corporately. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Louise often says that Sarah is the backbone of our ministry, and I think it's quite true. And so... uh, it's amazing that God has sustained us through these experiences. And when you're going through them, you think, how can you ever get through this? But when you look back, you can see God's grace mm-hmm. and how he molds us and uses our experiences as a testimony to others. And so that really has been true in our ministry. And so uh, when we came back from South Africa with Sarah uh, as a, a three-year-old little baby, we at that time began the work of Celebrate Messiah. Mm -hmm. And we started a a mission organization reaching out to Jewish people here in Australia. Today, uh, 24 years later, that ministry is not only in Australia, but we have work in New Zealand and in Russia and in Israel. Wow. And uh, we continually learn uh, lessons uh, through Sarah Mm -hmm. that really 
help us shape our ministry. For instance, one of the earlier lessons that I learned coming back to Australia and starting a mission organization, I was very driven, mm-hmm. very determined to fill up every moment of the day that I could in sharing the gospel with Jewish people, uh, serving the Lord in ministry. And um, there, of course, were a lot of challenges at home with looking after Sarah at the same time. And yeah. uh, I know that, uh, for instance, this one day I was feeling a little bit frustrated because I had to cut short ministry time to go and fetch Sarah from from her school that she was going to. Mm. And uh, I was feeling very irritated and uh, and almost guilty that I had to stop ministry to go pick up my disabled daughter. And mm. the Lord really showed me something that really has remained with me and continues mm. to be a lesson. And uh, it was the Lord said to me, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you mm. do unto me. Mm-hmm. And he gave me a revelation that what I was doing for my disabled daughter, Sarah, was unto him. Mm-hmm. As if I was picking him up to school, as if caring for Sarah was caring for Yeshua, for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that totally revolutionized my attitude towards ministry and my family. And I started to realize that ministry to family is ministry. Mm-hmm. And ministry yeah. to Sarah yeah. is ministry unto the Lord, even though she's in the kind of worldly perspective, least of his brethren. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, ministering to, to her is, in fact, a very important part of who we are and what what has really shaped us as people. With our ministry, we are often called to travel. We go to Mm -hmm. Israel, we go to New Zealand and different parts of the world where we do a lot of ministry and we have to leave Sarah behind. And God provided a beautiful woman who came into our life when Sarah was around seven. And she she came in and just came alongside our family and said to us, I am here to serve you, to do what I can do so that you can do what you need to do for mm. the Lord. And Lynn has been such an incredible help and um, wonderful gift from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's come alongside us, and we call her Sarah's hairy godmother. <laughs> and we have another, you know, a lot of carers through the years, and many of them I just can't thank enough for mm-hmm. the years of service yeah. they've given to our family. And at the moment, another friend, Rebecca, cares for Sarah that, as if it's her own child as well. Mm-hmm. And these people make it possible for us to do the ministry mm-hmm. that we need to do. And for one example, we um, another story we could tell you is about we do ministry in the far east of Russia. Mm-hmm. And in the 1930s, Stalin wanted to create a homeland for the so-called Jewish people. He tried to get rid of the Jewish people, so they, he moved them to the far, far east of Russia. Wasn't it a bit of a swampland? A swampland, that's right, a wasteland mm. full of mosquitoes, and it's right on the Chinese border. I heard that when I yes. visited your congregation one time, so that's how yes, I know. Yes, <laughs> that's how you know. So um, the Jewish people, um, as innovative as they are, created an incredible settle, which is called like a little village, a, mm. ho- a home for themselves. Uh, um, they, they created quite a vibrant lifestyle for themselves in this horrible wasteland, and uh, many over the years, there have been a lot of persecution for them as well. But there's this beautiful place called Birubijan, which when you get off the train, there's a beautiful menorah and a beautiful statue of actually Tevia from Fiddler of the Roof. Oh, okay. <laughs> and a lot of the writings are in Hebrew, Russian, and Yiddish. Mm-hmm. And um, we were told that there are Jewish people still living in this place called Birubijan. It was hard to believe that because we thought they'd all immigrated and gone back to Israel mm-hmm. by now. And so we thought we'd better go and investigate. So we went out there to Birubijan and found so many very, very poor Jewish communities. 
living in squalor, living in ways that us in we in the West would mm. couldn't imagine. Mold and on the walls and the freezing cold of winter um, gets to minus thirty five there, mm-hmm. and many are persecuted. And it's we went out there to minister to these people. And I just remember this one time; it was very difficult. You know, we come from the West, so for these people in Russia to accept us it was very difficult for them because they think, of course, we have a much easier lifestyle in the West. We wouldn't know what it's like to live out there mm-hmm. in the in the conditions that they are living in. But my friend Rita, our co-worker, said to me, Louise, talk about Sarah. Share her story. Mm. So I got up and I talked about our life with Sarah. And it was interpreted in Russian. And when I'd finished, I had all these beautiful Russian ladies just run at me mm. into my arms and hug me and they were weeping and crying. Mm. And because of Sarah, her story, it showed them that, you know, we might look on the outside as if we've got it all together. Mm. But really we are as human as they are and mm. we also yep. have troubles mm. and, and problems yep. in our lives. And it opened up the doors for us to really yeah, so you love them and speak into their lives. Level. We yeah. could. And it was very beautiful. Mm. You know. That's true. And so today they we actually do have a congregation in Birubajan mm-hmm. in this Jewish autonomous region that continues. And also we planted one just north of Vladivostok. That's not a swear word. That is a town. Vladivostok. <laughs> There's a town called Artum where we've also got a congregation there. And uh, in fact, our worker Rita is in the far east of Russia right now. Mm-hmm ministering to Jewish people there. We run two camps at this time of the year, one in Artum and another one in Birubhajan. And this weekend she'll be doing ministry in Birubhajan to Mm. families there. So it's a a wonderful ministry in a very remote area, literally in the middle of nowhere. And yet such a wonderful dynamic ministry has been done amongst the people there. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo was once again chatting with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch, who are the founders of a ministry to Jewish people called Celebrate Messiah. We'll hear more of their story and more about the impact of their ministry when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, once again, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch, the founders of a ministry to Jewish people called Celebrate Messiah. Next, we're going to learn about the special congregation Lawrence leads that is specifically designed for believers in Jesus from a Jewish background. But, as we will hear, it is not only for Jewish believers. Shalom Alechem Hevenu Shalom 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 Alechem Hevenu Shalom Now normally I would say you're the pastor of the church but for a messianic congregation what is the correct phrase that I should use? Well uh, in our congregation I'm called a, a rabbi oh, okay um, So I'm the messianic rabbi of Beit HaMashiach messianic congregation and uh, my um, main role really is the executive director of Celebrate Messiah which is the larger organization. Larger mission organization, yes. Okay, so you kind of wear two hats. Exactly. 
Well, <laughs> you have a number of very interesting people in your congregation. Of course, longtime listeners know that we've talked to Nettie, who is a Holocaust survivor. Yes. And she has a whole journey that she's been on. And tell us about some of the other members of your congregation. We have about 35 different ethnic groups. We have some Iranian. Um, so it's not just uh, people of Jewish origin no, or be- heritage. In fact, you know, for the body of Messiah, it's Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. And that's mm-hmm. what we wanted our congregation to look like. And I think it's a picture of our marriage as well, how the Lord brought a Gentile and a Jew together. <laughs> okay. It's one, one in yeah. him. And yeah. we feel that's a wonderful picture of our congregation. And a lot of non-Jewish people come to our congregation because they love Israel. They love the Hebraic roots of the faith. Mm-hmm. They um, want to stand with the Jewish people. And it's not easy for a non-Jewish person to even set foot in a synagogue, never mind um, you know, being accepted. So non-Jewish people can be welcomed and you know, worship the Lord together mm-hmm. in Him. And I think it's a beautiful picture of heaven when you have mm-hmm. so many ethnic groups worshiping the Lord together. So we have Sri Lankans, um, mm-hmm. we have Israelis, we have South Africans, we have um, people from Iran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Lawrence says he's baptized more Iranians than he has Jewish people. Is that right? Yes. And it's beautiful because the Iranian... They- find a, a Messianic Jewish congregation attractive. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, story too. It was at the time when there were a lot of Iranians coming through, of course, through uh, you know the boats that were arriving, etc. And it was a very difficult time for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time we had this uh, young lady who was part of our congregation that was meeting these Iranians and ministering to them as they came off the boats. Mm-hmm. And on one occasion, she said, would I mind if she brought some of these Iranian Muslims to our congregation? And I said, yes, that's fine. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, is that a good idea, really? Well, wouldn't they be Muslim, being from They are Muslims. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I I said, yes, that's fine. And I was so surprised meeting these beautiful Iranian Muslims. Many of them had come off the boat through those harrowing experiences, near-death experiences, or seen people die. Mm -hmm. But they were really so keen to come and meet Jewish people. And so many of them wanted to shake my hand and say, we love you, and we want to stand with you. We are one with you. Even though our countries or our leaders don't yeah. agree we we love the jewish people and i was so shocked wow. by that and we began a ministry at that time to these iranians because we had a, a lovely jewish believer in our congregation who spoke farsi because he was born mm-hmm. in iran in mm-hmm. persia and so we were having bible studies uh, for the iranians in farsi for them during our services so the first part of the service was the worship and they mm-hmm. loved it because it had a bit of a Middle Eastern flair in our services and, and yeah, lovely music and dancing everything. and music yeah. and then when I began to preach the sermon my friend Higal would take them out to the back for a Bible study and it was quite interesting because Higal uh, would be wearing a prayer shawl a uh, traditional garb that you wear during a morning service with the uh, tassels, Jewish type, a Jewish dress. prayer shawl, yep. yeah, and uh, he would go out, and ten, fifteen Iranians would follow him. Wow! And there's a scripture in the prophets that speak about how ten Gentiles would take hold of the robe of a Jew and say, "Take me to your God." Wow! And it was uh, it was really every week a picture of that happening. This wow. Jewish. Persian sharing with the Iranian Muslims about Jesus being the Messiah. And uh, many of these Iranians still continue to worship with Mm -hmm. us in our congregation, which is a blessing. And as we said, over the last 
five, seven years or so, I've baptized more Iranian Muslims than I have Jewish people. Wow. I would love to say it, at least there'll be equal amounts, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, ministry amongst Jewish people is is challenging. Hmm. Yeah. And I never thought I'd have any ministry to, to Muslims and uh, never set out to do that, but it, it's what happened. Yeah. But certainly um, in these days, we are beginning to see Jewish people come to faith in greater numbers than ever before. There's a very vibrant and young movement happening in Israel. Mm-hmm. Jewish people have come to the Lord from countries of the former Soviet Union. We have uh, not only an English-speaking congregation here in Melbourne, we have a Russian-speaking congregation. Oh, well. Most of those uh, people are elderly Russian Jews who survived the Holocaust. Mm-hmm beautiful to see them worshiping the Messiah. It's so mm. heartwarming and uh, amazing, really. And so uh, around the world, there's a movement of Jews coming to faith in the Messiah. Mm-hmm. At the moment, it's still hand-picked fruit, so to speak, mm-hmm. but it's growing. Yeah, And uh, it really shows us that we're living at very special times. Mm-hmm. I, I believe we're living in end times when we are just prior to the Messiah's coming, seeing a move of God amongst the Jewish people that will make it a difference to the whole world, in fact. So it's a very exciting times that we haven't seen since perhaps the book of Acts when Jewish mm. people came to the Lord back in the first early Messianic movement when Jesus was here and the disciples followed him. Yeah, we're very excited about what God's doing here in, in Melbourne itself. In Melbourne, we have uh, work in what we affectionately call the Holy Land of Australia. <laughs> And that's where most Jewish people in Australia live. We have a very large Jewish community in the Caulfield environs. There's several Mm -hmm. suburbs around there too, Mm -hmm. enclosed by a religious area called an Eruv. And there's about 75,000 Jewish people living there and uh, about 45 synagogues. And we have in the heart of this area a Messianic congregation called Beit HaMashiach and uh, a Russian-speaking one called Dom Messii. And we are now actually currently starting building the first Messianic congregation and uh, Messianic center in the Southern Hemisphere, a special purpose-built facility in the heart of Caulfield. And uh, we're very excited about this Messianic center, and we really would ask people to pray for it and help see a testimony for the Messiah right in the heart of the Jewish community in Melbourne as uh, this community continues to grow. Now, As if that wasn't enough, I mean, you're involved here in Melbourne and also overseas, but also you have the opportunity to go to many Christian churches because during the Easter season, you do seders. Tell us about that. Yes, it's a real privilege uh, to be able to go and minister in a whole lot of different churches around the country, uh, sharing about the Jewishness of Jesus and the Jewish Mm -hmm. background of the gospel. And... uh, Especially in the festivals of Israel, we see it so beautifully pictured. The the gospel is there. And one thing that, of course, uh, we've become quite well known for around, uh, around Melbourne in particular is the, the Passover seders that we, we offer. Mm-hmm. Um, not only explanations of the Passover, but sometimes we'll put on a special banquet. And uh, Yes, last I had the years, opportunity to go on. It's fantastic. It's lovely. We, we've been um, hosting those banquets at the St. Kilda Town Hall, having mm-hmm. around four 150 or so people coming together, celebrating a traditional Passover banquet, but explaining how Jesus fits into that as the Messiah. Yes, he's the fulfillment. He is the Passover Absolutely. lamb. Absolutely. He is the Passover lamb who has been slain for us. And we celebrate this traditional Seder pointing to the Messiah. 
and, complete with uh, Jewish music. It was more like a, a wedding festival. <laughs> <festivities>. It really <laughs> is, because we do a lot of Israeli dancing. Yeah, we have yeah, a oh, very oh, vibrant band. Yeah. And I think it's the dancing and the party feel that we have. It's yeah. just such a beautiful. Also, a lot of the worship mm-hmm. is very yeah. beautiful, yeah. all in Hebrew and English. Yes, this year we had a wonderful uh, Passover Seder at the St. Kilda Town Hall and had a number of Jewish people who had come for the first time. Mm. And uh, this one Israeli guy who was staying with us at the time, because we actually also host Israeli travelers in our home, which is a wonderful ministry that Mm -hmm. Christians can get involved in. But we had this uh, lovely young Israeli staying with us, and he experienced our Messianic Passover Seder, especially at the end of this, the uh, night we were worshiping the Lord. And there were many other believers raising up their hands mm. and worshiping him from their hearts, and that really moved him. Mm. And so in the car ride home, Louise asked him, how did you find the, the Passover? And he said, it was wonderful, but I'm especially jealous of those people who have such a connection with God. Mm. I could see they... They loved God and had a connection with Him. I'm jealous of it. Mm. Reminded me of the scripture in Romans, Romans chapter 11, verse 11, which is a profound scripture and says, Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Mm. Wow, so that's that was what, fulfilling it right there. Exactly. Mm. It was an amazing time. Lawrence and Louise, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank that's you, a, Eric, for having us and shalom to you. It's a pleasure, Eric. Shalom and God bless. Well, that was the conclusion of our three-part conversation with Lawrence and Louise Hirsch, who were the founders of a ministry called Celebrate Messiah. It's an interdenominational evangelistic ministry dedicated to raising the banner of Messiah amongst God's ancient people in Australia and abroad. As we heard, Lawrence is the executive director and also provides leadership to a Messianic Jewish congregation in Melbourne. To learn more, their website is celebratemessiah.com.au. That's celebratemessiah.com.au. Well, we'll end today with this appropriate verse from the book of Romans. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Well, thanks for joining us for the conclusion of Lawrence and Louise sharing their story. Until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. 